Welcome to the Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. I'm Dr. Carly Hudson, and with us today is Jamie Atlas. Um, Originally from Australia, Jamie was a professional basketball player Mm -hmm. before launching a career as a personal trainer, coaching athletes competing in the 2000 Olympics. As much as he enjoyed the work he, he was doing, he realized his true calling was helping everyday people change their lives. Currently, Jamie holds a bachelor's degree in neuroscience from Australia National University and has a special interest in how pain perception impacts healing. He uses it daily with his clients in his uh, personal training studio. So welcome to the Healing Ground Movement podcast. Thanks Thanks for having me. (laughs) It's good to be here. I'm actually, uh, I love the conversations we've had Mm -hmm. leading up to this. And um, the the way you're looking at things, uh, I think, is such a, a unique and sort of necessary perspective that I, I feel like I hope that whoever's listening to this whether it's of course you know I want them to listen to, to, to our podcast again and again yeah uh, this will be the favorite yeah yeah, yeah it'll be my favorite yes. but the uh, but yeah there's there's plenty of other really good information that I think that can be gleaned from just talking about things in a unique perspective that's what I'm hoping I I think that a lot of people are looking for different ways of looking at healthcare, looking at movement and improving themselves. Mm. And I, I'm seeing just a lot of that happening in, in the world of social media. So I'm glad that we can be part of the conversation and that you've joined us here today. Thanks. So I always like to start asking um, now, of course, with your, your background in, in basketball, but uh, when was movement first fun for you? When was movement first fun for me? Mm-hmm. Oh, my, my movement story is not one of like glory and, and happiness at all. I pretty much, uh, I was a total bookworm. I know it's hard to look at me now and imagine that I, at some point in time in my life I was awkward and nerdy, but uh, it was it's true. The uh, When I was essentially up until I was about 15, I was the, I was in the chess club, I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. Girls were a complete mystery. They still are, but they were more of a mystery back I was then. Like, we don't make any sense to athletes <laughs> either. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, and, and it was when I was about 13 that mm-hmm. I was uh, hanging out at the local high school and uh, there was a sign up in the in the gym that sort of said, hey, wanted kids for a basketball team. Mm-hmm. And I was always a taller, taller kid, but I was always very, uh, very much an avid reader and didn't really get into the movement side of things. And so it was an awkward, and of course my body's about to do this like sort of stretch Armstrong type thing where I'm just lengthening out. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, so it wasn't really until I was about sort of 19 mm-hmm. that I started to actually go, wow, I can, I can do this. After like thousands and thousands of like really poorly done uh, movement efforts, I suddenly realized like, wow, I can do this. And I was like 19 and suddenly everything made sense. My body moved together. And I had sort of just a few really cool moments where, where I felt like I was in control of what I was doing and how I was doing it. And the body and the mind were working as one unit. Anything stuck out in your memory about how that happened or, or the big turning point? I think when I started to measure the, the, the outcomes okay. uh, in other, at, at game pace. In other words, it was one of the things where I would always sort of, you know, you see people go and practice. And I, I watched this video and, and the video talked about doing things at game pace and it talked about certain drills to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I'm convinced that 
part of the secret of being a successful athlete is trying not to overthink things. Mm -hmm. Just to sort of go, oh, coach says to do this, so I'm going to do this. And uh, I found a couple of drills where I essentially put a basketball on top of an upside down trash can and I would run at the trash can as quickly as I could and then stop as quickly as I could, take the basketball off the trash can and shoot it. And I got to a place where, and I started to measure that outcome. And mm -hmm. so then I would go from like six out of 20 to like all of a sudden within six months, I'm shooting it at like 17, 18 out of 20. Nice. And what I did was I tried not to focus on what, I mean, I wasn't doing it with anyone else or just by myself. <laughs> so I was actually trying to shoot this basketball and see how well I could, how well I could do it and how good I could get at it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really until I was like shooting 17, 18 out of 20 that I realized that like, even the best shooters that I knew could only do this drill at like 14 or 15. And so I think there's a few key things I think about moving forward in my own practice where mm -hmm. I try not to, whenever I have a client comes in and says, I want to be able to do this, I always ask them, how, what do you think your potential is? In mm -hmm. other words, and, and I want to know if they're comparing their potential to others or if they're comparing their potential to their previous best. Because I think there's, a big, uh, there's an important part in the brain. But mm -hmm. one of the things that got me there was while I was – Getting from 16, 6 to 18 is I sort of started to see that positive feedback and started to, and I was studying some psychology at the time as well as some, some biology. And I started to see these, like make these connections in sort of the, the human performance side of things. Mm -hmm. And I realized that there's so much that happens in, our, in the chemicals in our brain and the perception we have of, uh, and the anticipation of success and, uh, and being able to sort of know what we're doing and, and to have the sort of the good sort of like hormone mix and cocktail that happens when we are successful. And that was when I really started to get into the idea that maybe performance is not just doing the reps, but actually sort of anticipating success, but also uh, getting getting feedback that you can do something with when it's working or not working. And I think that you brought an interesting um, specific out of that is that are you competing against yourself or are you competing against yes. others? And I'm curious, particularly with your background in psychology and then the mm -hmm. neuroscience, do you know, does the brain light up differently if you're competing with yourself versus an external cue? I mean, I, I think... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, a, it's definitely, it's one of those things where you, you ask yourself, I mean... The again, if I focus on the outcome, mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm comparing myself to others, then what I do is I it, I set myself up so that way once I reach that line where I say okay, 15 out of 20, or I want to be able to walk, okay, can I walk? That's great. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, the majority of physical therapy and and, and massage and, and acupuncture and different things are set to people come in. They say, can I be free of pain? Mm -hmm. And then we answer and we say, well, when I get you free of pain, that'll be the goal, right? And then we, we both agree on that as an outcome. And then I get to that and I feel happy. Mm -hmm. However, for me, my question is not, can I get you free of pain? It's, can I get you to a place where you can be so well put together that pain in that area never becomes an option again? And mm -hmm. uh, there's all sorts of different things that light up in the brain when we do find ourselves in that place of pain or anticipation of that pain. Mm -hmm. And so we start to get into a really cool field called nociception, yes. where, which is essentially our perception of pain. And um, there's plenty of uh, examples in our life if we think about it. Everyone is familiar with sort of PTSD of, mm -hmm. of like soldiers coming back from different wars. However, PTSD can happen in many, so many ways within ourselves. And the way the brain lights up, especially when it comes to things like, say, using an ankle again that you haven't used before and our mm -hmm. fear and anticipation of dysfunction and, or, or of pain uh, coming through when we try to replicate certain movements. And mm -hmm. to me, I get really excited trying to say, okay, how can I ha create a different response in the brain 
when that person goes to use it that is not one of fear but one of excitement of anticipation of um of, uh, of hopefulness. Well, and it's such a good point that when we use pain as our, well, primary and final outcome marker, we're stopping so short. Because if we can have pain just based on the perception of fear of use, we don't even have to challenge the tissue, challenge our bodies in the structure if we're already in pain, mm. that stopping there doesn't really create that long-term impact, give control back to the body and security back to the person trying to go through their daily lives. What time, What kind of techniques do you like to sort of favor when you're trying to circumvent that? Um, so a lot of it comes into getting reacquainted with that part of the body. When we have the, the fear of pain and the fear of discomfort in it, we offload and shoulder a lot of the strength or finesse into, so take the ankle, mm. let's say the right ankle. Sure. We, we offload a lot of that into the left ankle and mm. the left hip, and then we stabilize off into the right shoulder, anything to take the burden away from that ankle. Mm. And it's almost like we're trying to get as far away from that past experience as possible. Right. So bringing isolated movement back into the ankle itself, into the larger motor muscles of that limb, into the glutes, just to say, we're going to take that burden back a little bit at a time, mm. and it's going to be safe. And right. when you and I agree that it's safe, yeah. we're going to make it do more. Yeah. And we challenge, and we challenge, and we challenge. But you, it's almost like you have to earn the trust back both ways. Yeah, and, and, and certainly mm -hmm. from, a, from a mental standpoint, but also from a, an, the individual joint and the mm -hmm. global movement standpoint. Mm -hmm. I love, uh, I mean, I think one of the major benefits of uh, sort of like pool training mm -hmm. is that we can do this lighter loaded gravity However, we, it's such a different environment mm -hmm. that uh, sometimes things are possible that sort of shouldn't really be possible but because we're not anticipating pain because we're in such a different setup, mm -hmm. a different scenario. Yeah, uh, our brain isn't perceiving things the same yeah, way. Yeah, and yeah. our brain doesn't anticipate it. Mm -hmm. I th it's uh, like if I were to, say, be in a car accident and uh, on a certain cross street, then every time I re, uh, every time I go back to that cross street, if I'm in my car, part of my brain is saying like I recognize this and I have some mental noise around it. Mm -hmm. And I think the more we can try to approach that in a different way, or to try to ask the body, hey, are you angry that I'm that we were injured, or are you scared? Mm -hmm. And then if if you're scared or angry then how can we look at this in a different way where we can, instead of being scared to use it, we can be excited to use mm -hmm. it, to keep stick with the example of the right ankle, mm -hmm. to say, okay, um, perhaps is it fair to ask the left ankle and the left hip to do that work? Mm -hmm. And what, what do we anticipate the outcome to be if we continue to use the left ankle and left hip in that sense? Yeah. And, and, and truly, I've had, you'd be amazed at the number of clients I've had. I mean, you wouldn't, but like generally speaking. <laughs> one would. Yeah, yeah, one would. Yeah, <laughs> be amazed at the number of clients who, who come in and they say, I have a problem in my left hip. And, the, mm -hmm. and then we talk about, we, we get into the history and get into the past. And we realize that there was an injury in their right ankle. And, and then you realize that, so, okay, the, the solution to this, this left hip mm -hmm. uh, is, lies within the right ankle. It reintegrates the whole body. And again, the surprise being that I see on my patient's face all the time is that it really is all connected. Yes. That that right ankle isn't isolated and the choices that they're, do that they're making, that priority that they're taking to spare and save that previous injury and that fear come at an expense to another part of their being. Which actually sort of stems into one of the things that I love to get on my soapbox mm -hmm. about, which is essentially is that unfortunately as 
as medical insurance gets more and more of a stranglehold on, mm-hmm. on what's acceptable treatment and what's not. Unfortunately, uh, I'm, I'm getting so many clients that are sort of coming to me after they've seen the surgeon, after they've seen the therapist, after they've seen this or that, mm-hmm. to try to say, okay, like, you know, that I, I couldn't get any relief, why can you help me? Mm-hmm. And my answer is because I don't take insurance, and I'm, I, which, allow, which gives me the freedom to be able to step outside of just the joint, just yes. so if you come in and say, my knee hurts, then I'm going to. Then more often than not, I'm able to get that client to a place where they can use their knee again in a pain-free sense. Majority of the time, without touching the knee, the knee is essentially a messenger. Mm-hmm. I'm looking. For, I'm not looking to address the symptom. I'm looking to address the cause. Now, the cause. Uh, the the simplest analogy I use with people is to say: Imagine if you had three brothers helping the the hips move. Mm-hmm. One is sort of like you know the glute. The second is the knee. The third is the is the foot musculature and, and structure. And so, if one, if two of those two of those brothers are not operating, mm-hmm. then one brother has to take on all the load. Yeah. And so that one brother eventually is going to get really frustrated and annoyed, <laughs> and and start to bark at us. Yeah. And so, so if I can actually get the other two brothers to step to step up and carry their load, then then all of a sudden it's amazing how the the way the body moves and starts to trust itself again. Mm-hmm can really be beneficial. Well, and I like that it's not just, again, fixing the problem. We've made it so overly simplistic so very often in that Mm. insurance model of, particularly in chiropractic, if it's a knee problem, I can only adjust the knee and bill for the knee. And I don't take insurance for the very same reason that you don't. Uh, Because it's not that simple. And you have to not only get the other two brothers to stop being so stinking lazy and do their right. job yeah. but you sort of have to buy that third brother a little bit of a treat and calm him down and, <laughs> and like yeah. it's okay rest yeah. you've overdone too much right. or you know yeah. the bitterness continues yeah, yeah. and and to that analogy it's the the strengthening the two brothers mm-hmm. and the stretching and relaxing the worn out brother yeah. so if you're only doing uh, massage or you're only doing chiropractic which uh, create mobility but you're not doing any PT or strength training workout, which creates mm. stability, yes. or vice versa. Mm. You're only attending to one group of brothers. And then another mm-hmm. thing to think about: we've all seen that sort of photocopy with like the guy with no face and the headband, of like you, know, the, you remember the, the it's like the you see the book and it's like the stretching book, mm-hmm. and you'll go in and they'll just oh. photocopy that picture. Oh yeah, the green one. Yeah, yeah. yeah they'll yeah, like yeah. have the guy <laughs> doing this stretch and that stretch yes. and this exercise, and they just cross out the ones not to do. Mm-hmm. And they're like, here, take this generic sheet of paper and go home and do these. Yeah. And and the part that I get frustrated about is that the majority of these are what I might call front to back or up and down. Mm-hmm. In other words, they imagine this to be like sort of a. You remember the rock and stock and robots? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it was just like you'd push the button and and it would punch forward. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you watch uh, any kind of like sort of athletic endeavor, mm-hmm. there's rotation, there's lateral, there there's there's a combination of levels. Mm-hmm. And and to me, I look at that and I go, why is it that we're ignoring that we instead of just the front to back or up and down plane of motion? Mm-hmm. Why are we completely ignoring the rotational or the lateral shifting? Which is so often where the injury occurs because yeah. it's the highest level of coordination in the body, mm-hmm. that kind of movement. Yeah, it's, and it's <laughs> fascinating to me. But the, the, it's fascinating to me that the medical basically system has decided that we're going to try to, again, set our expectations, our mm-hmm. goal at you being out of pain. 
Yeah. And because if I can get you out of pain, or at least get you sick of sick of like sick of the uh, trying to fix it. Yeah, sick of seeing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So then I can get you just to stop charging uh, mm -hmm. charging for your insurance. Then 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 we win. I mean, mm -hmm. the insurance company wins. Yeah. But the uh, unfortunately, and and I feel bad for physical therapists and other other medical professionals that are stuck in the system, where they see that the problem is so much more, mm -hmm. but they have a limited window of time. They have to keep the lights on, keep the bills paid, mm -hmm. and unfortunately they might have all the desire at the start to work on more things. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the guy who's paying the bills says, this is what I pay you for, so I need you to keep it within a certain limit, a limited window. And unfortunately, that's when we end up with patients going in, sitting down, and uh, getting sort of some sort of Eastern machine on their, on their joint of choice. Mm -hmm. And then they get left for 20 minutes, and the guy comes back, and, or the girl comes back and says, okay, great, that's, that's your session. See and you next week. And, and how devastating is it then that healthcare decisions are being made by people who control money? Mm. It doesn't see the person in front of you. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so and if we ignore what is truly one of the most complicated machines in the world, which is the human body, and then, of course, combine that with like the, the different feedback that happens within the brain, mm -hmm. then we end up with sort of a real quandary where, where fortunately, people like you, us, <laughs> get to exist, where we yeah. say, okay, we see the gap. Mm -hmm. And so for those people who aren't fixed by the standard protocol, that's where I get to say, you know, I, I mean, I imagine it as because I'm I'm not expensive, but but every session I do is at least an hour, a, a half hour, an hour, because mm -hmm. I refuse to try to let people sort of, uh, I refuse to try to let the problem be so one dimensional. Yeah. And uh, uh, but when but I like to I like to be very I'm very proud of the results I get from people with that comprehensive approach. But a big part of it is talking to people and understanding what they're afraid of or what their fears are or how they've tried before or just there's so much power in just listening. And what impact do you see in building that awareness within your patients and then how they change their care? I, I think actually well care for care and appreciation and perception of mm -hmm. oneself. In other words, uh, sometimes we think of a knee and we go like, my knee's angry. You know, mm -hmm. and, and my question is, is it angry or is it asking for something? And then, it, or, or uh, sometimes I'll say to the clients, like, you know, don't, don't get frustrated, get curious. Mm. And just in that word in itself, if we talk about being frustrated about something, it's, you know, where we've, we've given up trying to find a solution. We're just like, oh, I've tried everything. But if we can stay curious, then we start to say, okay, well, okay, it hurts doing this. What, what doesn't hurt? Like, does it hurt doing this? Does it hurt doing that? Does it hurt doing everything? Can I use it at all? Can I, can I use it in the pool? Can I use it when it's offloaded? Can I use it when it's unloaded? Can I mm -hmm. use it when I'm traveling sideways? And, and in, in finding areas of success, we can start to feel like we're not a complete failure and we can start to say, hey, maybe it's just this piece that needs solution, not I'm done with it all, throw our hands in the air and say, I'll never walk normal again. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And in that sense, you almost become, I don't know, a bit of a, a user's manual, a guide to getting to know your own body that when we think about this is no good, my, again, we'll come back to that ankle. My ankle sure. doesn't work, poor ankle. Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> ankle doesn't work anymore, it's broken and it's no good. Well, uh -huh. if it's no good, then you couldn't use it at all. Right. And can we back up? Yes. And do you feel like you're really doing more education than anything within those sessions? Another piece to consider is, mm -hmm. you know, and the same happens, I have sometimes clients come in, uh, I had a girl who lost 220 pounds, and, mm -hmm. but one of the, one of the, which is great, and I'm super excited for that result for, it, with her. One of the things that we had to really wrestle through was the number of efforts she'd had before and mm -hmm. helping her understand how this is different than that. And I think so often we, we sort of hear the, 
the amazing story of someone sort of like you know being having hands-on work and suddenly like you know, getting up and skipping out of the office and when we come in with or, or you always think about sort of all the stories where we've tried mm-hmm. and failed horribly yeah. and I think if 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 we can help people understand okay how can we approach this differently whether it be just to set our expectations appropriately to say, hey, maybe maybe this will be a process and maybe you do need to do your homework. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things I try really hard to do with my clients is to explain to them why we're doing the homework. And again, it's part of taking the extra time to say, hey, let me help you understand your own body and then let me explain to you how what I'm doing is going to help you. And then, and then let me give you opportunities where you can explore and be your own assessor mm-hmm. so you can see it improve and get that positive feedback cycle and then suddenly and, and essentially teach you how to care and monitor your own progress. And in empowering people to do that, then you see their eyes light up and they realize that they get to drive the bus. They're not just an a, 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 um, involuntary participant in the ride. And so what are your some of your favorite ways, what are your favorite tools to access that with people? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think... Knowing that no one's a protocol and that's a ridiculous Yeah, yeah, you know, no, 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 it's fair. No, yeah. there's certain things, I think, you know, there's certain yeah. things that we all do. Yeah. I think one of the things I try to do is I try to ask, ask for the deeper why. Mm. In other words, if we can talk about, you know, someone says, I want to be able to walk. Okay, why do you want to be able to walk? I saw that way I can, like, you know... So that way I can, you know, like stay active. I'm like, why do you want to stay active? It's like, you know, so I can go to the store and like, you know, and and uh, and go and walk around and and do different things. Okay, why is that important to you? Like, what's what's the example where that would really give you joy? Mm-hmm. Oh, to be able to say walk to the park and and watch like you know my son play, my my grandson play with play with his friends, or to be able to say I want to be able to participate socially with people, mm-hmm. and you know, be able to. My my wife always goes for a walk around the park. I want to be able to go for a walk around the park with her and connect. With her. Yeah, and so when you start to, when I start to have that emotional why, then we can start to sort of like give it a reason. Because so many times, if I say like, "Oh, I want to lose five pounds," okay, why do you want to lose five pounds? Like it's such a, it's it's such a goal that is easy to drop mm-hmm. if we don't establish the emotional reason. Yeah, and uh, and I often, I mean, I had a client, <laughs> I had a client come in about a year ago who said, uh, "You have to help me run again," because I'm I'm the person that people see when they say, "I've got a thing I want to do with my body." And I'm worried I'm going to re-injure myself, so I need you to train me or work on me or, or a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And and, I, and she said, you have to help me run again. And I said, why? And she said, if you don't, I'm going to kill my husband. And she was just joking. <laughs> she was joking. But at the yeah. same time, she said, and I said, why are you going to kill your husband? And she said, because when I come home, I my my husband has, has questions for me. And I'm happy to talk to him, but at the same time, I need, after work, I need some time to offload. And how I offload mentally is to run. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of one of those things where, like, you know, then the, so, we, so she said, if I don't get that running time, then he talks to me, and then we <laughs> argue, and then I hate it, and then we, our relationship is not as good. Uh-huh. So I sort of realized, okay, um, well, now that we understand that, now I can talk about it, and but we can also discuss sort of the different ways that you know she can hold time for herself because mm-hmm. now it becomes more than just sort of like go for a run it becomes like okay well how do you defend your time like how do you how do you talk to others mm-hmm. i believe that a big thing is uh like i mean as an example one of the things i believe that the people need to talk about more is not just sort of the how you, the things you need to do that to get to where you want to be or to be the person you want to be mm-hmm. but i think one of the things and this is the neuroscience sort of like you know the psychology piece coming out for me is I've had so many clients who have read books 
and they've done things. And then they go out into the real world and they say, I'm doing the insert name of diet here. Mm -hmm. And then their friend says, well, it's chicken wings Thursday, so <laughs> duh, let's have chicken wings. We always have chicken wings on Thursday. We always do this. We always eat this when we're watching the game. We mm -hmm. always do have this at the team building experience. We always insert whatever event it is. Yeah. Know, it's birthday. You have to have a piece of cake on someone's birthday, right? And so that cultural need, that tropes. cultural <laughs> need, and then <laughs> being able to give people social skills to be able to tell people. I'm holding space in my schedule mm -hmm. to be able to do the homework. In other words, whether it's our kids or whether it's our, our significant others or whether it's our coworkers, mm -hmm. to be able to tell them, hey, I'm not going to do that, but it's okay if you do that. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say why and defend that for us. Because a lot of people have therapy they need to do, but they don't, they don't find the time or block at the time. Or, de or more importantly, if they do find the time or block at the time, they need to be able to defend the time. But if I'm looking to be in a nutrition plan, yeah. I need to be able to defend that nutrition plan to others and do it in a way that doesn't make them feel guilty. Mm -hmm. make them feel like they should be doing like the same nutrition plan and so like i man there's so many different ways that we can tell people but but when we don't discuss that actual application of the space and the time to mm -hmm. do that then i feel like we we sort of just send people out expecting it was like setting them up for failure well it's not letting them rework what their priorities in their mm. life are and that's a conversation i end up having with my patients more and more these days is not so much what you should do or what you ought to do or what this plan or that plan is but what are you prioritizing mm. you know why are you choosing to do this so that in that moment when you go out on that diet plan or what have you and then the cake arrives because mm. it's someone's birthday yeah. then your priority the social occasion of that person's birthday mm -hmm. over your health or over that reason that you chose. So if right. it is just, I'm prioritizing that cake over losing five pounds, well, five pounds is just a number and who cares? Mm. But if we have that discussion like you were talking about, and now it's not just I want to lose five pounds, but I feel more comfortable in my own body when I am five pounds lighter. I have more energy, so now I'm going to go out, mm -hmm. and I'm going to go running so I don't kill my husband. And if I don't <laughs> kill my husband, we're going to have a long and happy life together. And right. suddenly that cake gets smaller and smaller and smaller I until it doesn't matter compared to lifetime of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> if we have established our emotional wise. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it ties ties together what all of these pieces are because it shouldn't just be I need to get my 30 minutes of working out in today because I have to check that box mm. independent of everything else in my life. As we were talking about the whole body is connected. We can't spare one body part without hurting another. Mm. And the same thing goes for our emotional, physical, spiritual well-being. Right. If we sacrifice our physical well-being, as the case with your, your client in running, mm. it also sacrifices her, her mental, social and yeah. mental well-being yeah. with her, within her family. It's all connected. And, and if we can see that, the why becomes so much louder. Yeah, I think, I think you're... Uh, and it's this is a discussion that just doesn't really happen. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, okay, here's your exercises, do your exercises. And then, yeah. you know, people go, I'm not a therapist, so that's not my department. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you need to solve people's childhood trauma, but at the same time, to say to a client, let me explain to you why and have a discussion with you about the emotional pieces of this and how this can really help you, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it elevates this. And yeah. as you said, makes the other things smaller and makes it easier to uh, sort of a... a stand up for yourself and, mm -hmm. and to say like you know like there's gonna be times where you're going to say uh yeah it's appropriate for me to have the cake or mm -hmm. to have a smaller piece or yeah. something of that nature uh it's i think I, yeah no exactly yeah, yeah. but I, I look at it as uh, i ask people 
anytime they're going to do something or whether anytime they're going to deny themselves something, they ask, ask, does this serve me? Mm-hmm. And in asking, does it serve me? Then all of a sudden, I, I can say the knee. Like when I do the when I do the therapy work, it does it serve my knee? And and how does me serving my knee serve my greater good mm-hmm. or my global my global self? Or to eat a piece of cake, does this serve me? Well, you know, I've been really good, and you know, I, I decided I was going to do this. So yeah, this serves me, and this I feel in control when I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. However, uh, if we get in situations where we think of things as good or bad, or like oh, an angry knee or a, yeah. or a knee that's asking questions, by asking, does this serve me? Then anything we do, we can say, okay, this I don't have to be good 100 percent of the time. But if I can decide when I'm not going to do things that serve me, then mm-hmm. suddenly we can remove that guilt piece. And so, yeah. and the guilt piece again rolls back to us failing in the past and thinking it's not possible for us to get the place we want to be and to say, maybe this is just me and, and I and I, I don't deserve a knee that works. <laughs> and we get into all sorts of like, you know, different things. It's all things. that limiting fear and emotional peace versus yeah. what works and what doesn't work. Hmm. And and simply the, uh, back to the, hey, it, it doesn't work for me to have a huge piece of cake and feel like I'm going to go for a run, mm. but it does work for me to have a small piece so I can sit and chat with my colleagues while I have a few bites, mm. but not feel sick when yeah. I lay It's just not good or bad. Uh, Either of those situations served me one way or another. There's an example mm-hmm. that uh, blew my mind about two years ago uh, of a study on something called embodied cognition, mm-hmm. and uh, to the to the to to the person listening to this, uh, embodied cognition. Essentially, this study, what happened was, they took a group of people that had IBS. This is a UK study, and they gave them they had three three groups, and one group did nothing for six weeks. They they came in, they said, "Great, you have IBS. Okay, see you in six weeks." And then they took another group and they said, okay, we're going to give you the latest medication on IBS, take this. And then the third group, they did this thing where they said, okay, this is a sugar pill. It, it does nothing for you. But I want <laughs> told you to them take straight it. Out. <laughs> yes, told them straight to the face. They said, but I want you to take it three times a day. And, and this is for an IBS-related study. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, the, the people that had, the people at the end of it mm-hmm. had similar outcomes with the IBS medicine as with the sugar pill. Huh. And to me, part of what I think about now, and I sort of, and I, I'm, I'm the person who's always trying to look at ev- evidence-based practice, and I'm always mm-hmm. trying to say to myself, like I think of my world as like a, a, a giant Jenga puzzle, where I'm yeah. like, okay, this isn't true, let me pull this out, okay, does, is the Jenga still standing? Okay, <laughs> yeah. great. Okay, this isn't true, let me, but everything <laughs> fell down. Crap, okay, now Start I'm gonna over. try and rebuild it, <laughs> yeah. knowing with, with what I know to be true. Mm-hmm. The, the piece I try to think about is, when I'm working with someone, like what, what found principles or known principles to be true can I work with? Just asking someone to do the smallest, simplest thing, even if it has minimal progress to them, if I can get them to find and defend that space, mm-hmm. funnily enough, no matter how meaningless it is, whether it's me just asking them to journal about their low back pain three times a day for five for five for 30 seconds mm-hmm. to check in on a list and you think about it all of a sudden different things like a diary plan like a food plan you've heard people talk about yeah. like oh they're more successful when we write when we write down what we eat mm-hmm. just taking a moment to think about what we're eating and be conscious about it has so much so much great benefits and so then then of course it blew, blows my mind because i'm like what if like all the stuff i'm telling people to do actually <laughs> is means nothing all that really matters is that they're thinking about doing something good for themselves mm-hmm. so then i have to face it and say well Maybe I can just give them the things that I think are best for them, but give it to them in a way where I can hope that it's bite-sized piece enough mm-hmm. that they'll do it a couple of times a day. 
and, that, and to me that comes down to sort of like you know the the like serving serve does it serve me uh -huh. but can i create like teeny tiny pieces that serve serve you mm -hmm. so to the listener if you have a challenge and you and, and you feel like your therapy is too much or you feel like you've got too much homework to do just to do one small thing uh, two or three times a day will actually have dramatically dramatically great improvements simply because your brain without you whether you whether you know it or not your brain will be telling you hey we're, we're giving care to this knee or this ankle yeah that's great that's great and and up. the knee <laughs> and the ankle will mysteriously respond appropriately well and that just when you talk about if your program is too big and i see that a lot mm. um in my office as well and and particularly when we have too many care providers too many cooks in the kitchen right, right, right. that that care plan that is 25 exercises long and mm. becomes overwhelming and anxiety ridden is as terrible as the giant piece of cake right because it's really i didn't do it all i feel really bad guilt yeah, guilt, why, yeah. Now I have to go in and tell them to tell them to the face. I mean, yeah. my favorite answer is when I get the <laughs> when I get the uh, did you do the homework? And they yeah. say not as much as I should. And I say that means not at all, right? And I say yeah, 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 yeah. like uh, maybe once. <laughs> like, okay, well, yeah. once is something to build on. Yeah. But if it's too overwhelming, it doesn't serve. And right. so even all of the best intentions, when piled on and without purpose, hmm. stop serving us. Right. And so to your point of, you know, you have. 10 things that you're supposed to do because you're working with a couple of different providers or what have you mm. is that pick the two that matter the most to you. Mm. Because if it matters the most to you, your brain is focusing on it in a positive way. And based on that study you were just talking about, mm. it's going to have that mysterious impact mm. more meaningfully than if you did all 10, hated, grumbled, and sweated your way through it. Right. There's, there's something fascinating that uh, uh, I've sort of heard in different worlds throughout over the years, mm -hmm. which is called the Pareto's principle, mm -hmm. which is essentially the 80-20 rule. That mm -hmm. is the 20% of the things you do are going to give you 80% of the benefit. Yes. And so finding those 20, the, finding the 20% of those things, and then and then we sort of like roll it all back to nociception. What it really comes down to is is a, is to, as far as my world is concerned, if I can if I can find those 20% of things that make you feel the most confident about using your joint mm -hmm. uh, in the way that you want to use it. If you're a swimmer, how can I make it make you feel like this feels and looks like swimming, which is the thing I love to do and I want to do again, mm -hmm. rather than to say, how can I give you some sort of fun sort of rubber band sort of like just to get yeah, like just just a uh, your revolving door type exercise. Yeah. Just to say, okay, do you feel the muscle working? But if I can give you something that says, hey, does this look feel smell like swimming? Great. Does it make sense how this is going to help you be good at swimming? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. Are you motivated to do the swimming movement? Yes. Yep. Then then all of a sudden we've got buy-in, and when mm -hmm. we've got buy-in. Then the brain starts to sort of approach that. I like to, and and then of course it's very important to me that when someone's doing their work that they're not seeking pain. Mm -hmm. I like to talk about it as you know if you imagine a room that's on fire, you wouldn't just kick open the door and run in. Uh, what I like to do is tell people just walk up and just just put your hand gently on the door and feel the heat. Mm -hmm. And so in other That's words, great. we're looking to dance outside the door, not to not to jump inside the room. Mm -hmm. And if I can get really confident at doing movement in this realm. Uh, at this range of motion, at this intensity, then then the body will eventually get more and more confident because it'll see, oh, okay, actually, it's okay for us to do these movements and those movements, mm -hmm. and and in that the the area of pain, the area of dysfunction, the, the movements that we can't do, the fire, they gets shrink. Smaller. Yeah, they yeah. shrink. And it's so funny that like that's all we really need to do is just just walk up to the walk up to the fire. Mm -hmm. And not just like, and, but unfortunately, in this world of you know, like sort of pain and and more is better. Yeah. We anticipate that you know we really have to sort of grit pain through is it fear, and like yeah, give me something to bite on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, and what I love about when you talk about the swimming and then going up to the door is that you're using um, those pathways. And, and the same thing we do here in our office is that you use the existing pathways to build brain pathways to mm. build um, stronger patterns. Mm. So if you have a swimmer and you pattern an exercise over the breaststroke mm. and it's using those same muscular patterns but changing it just enough just so enough. that you know now we're offloading the one brother and getting the other two back sure. in the game, then <laughs> that's going to work faster and better for this individual than this door opening swinging motion, mm -hmm. this just pure external rotation at the shoulder, which I, I'm not a swimmer, but I don't think there's a stroke that looks like this. Uh, not that not, no, not, I, yeah. I don't you think would, you're going to stay there. Oh, wait, no, yeah. doggy, doggy paddle. I can do this. Oh, okay. I can do this. They're going to have to work twice as hard to create that neurological pattern versus using one that already exists. Yeah, and that's where that's where it starts to get down into the creativity mm -hmm. of the uh, of the um, of the specialist. Mm -hmm. And and unfortunately, again, rolling back to the the healthcare world, you know, mm -hmm. where they say, okay, these are the things that we'll pay you to do. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of have to ask ourselves, well. Well, what are the, what is the benefit of that? And the benefit is that the si the system can say these have been scientifically proven to work. Uh, and while I'm very much again about that evidence-based practice, mm -hmm. at the same time I have to ask myself how can I find the 80-20? How can I give them a couple of things that, that speak to what's known, mm -hmm. but also a couple of things that speak to the individual and then the things that they love and they mm -hmm. want to get back to, so they can sort of start to see that I had a, a client who had a stroke and and we when he, when it was appropriate we started to do movements that looked like yoga because he loved yoga. Mm -hmm. And I wanted him to be able to see the, 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 the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And, and, and as soon as we did those, you know, like all of a sudden his progress exponentially improved when mm -hmm. you could see the, 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 him try to, him starting to put together the story. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes I, I, my uh, my practitioner. I had a, a functional neurology treatment. He did the same thing with me. That all I wanted to do was be able to do yoga balance poses. Mm. So instead of putting me on a little foam block and saying, "Okay, stand mm. up, close your eyes," it was do chair pose, <laughs> check in how I was falling over, stand right. on one leg. How right. bad are you falling over? Because it was trying to push towards a goal that we both knew I already had, not mm. one that he had to convince me that I cared about what he cared about. Right. This outcome of standing on a blue foam pad and making sure I didn't fall over. Right. I don't see many of those in my day. <laughs> <laughs> so we've used the term uh, nociception yes. quite a bit. And could you give a definition explanation of that and then how that impacts patient care? Nociception essentially is, a, is our brain's perception and anticipation of pain. Mm -hmm. uh, to put and in a, a key point, perception and anticipation, yes. not sensation. No, of, no, not yeah. at all. Uh, we can. Uh, there's as a great as a great story. Probably uh, when I was an athletic trainer for a basketball team in Australia, we had one 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 athlete who had been working for about six weeks, had had rolled rolled their ankle very badly, and after about and after about six weeks of work and and and, and sort of really trying to ag aggressive therapy, we had we had them on the court and they were, their ankle was. Super wrapped up. Nowadays, mm -hmm. I look at wrapping ankles in a different light than what I did back then. But yeah, that was were, standard then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So their their ankle was very much uh, like uh, isolated, and they then it was maybe it was the third play of the game. They made they made a sudden move sideways, and uh, and then you saw them just go down. Mm -hmm. And they we the, the athlete hobbled over to the side of the court, took took the shoe off to take a look and see what see what happened, see and do a fun, functional assessment. And looking at the at the tape, I could see that part of it had uh, ripped. Mm -hmm. And so I said, when you, so I, I looked at them and I said, when you heard that, and they said, I, I felt it tear. 
And I said, when you felt a tear, did it sound like this? And I tore the tape a <laughs> bit more. And, and, and the athlete said, yeah. And I said, stand on this foot. And they stood. And, and, they, and I said, do a little like one leg squat. And they did a little one leg squat. And then they said, what did you do? And I said, I didn't do anything. <laughs> but your anticipation of the pain meant that you suddenly started all these chemical pathways through your brain that said, okay, we did it again. Mm-hmm. And essentially PTSD of the ankle. The sound it. of the tearing tape. The sound of the tearing triggered the sounded memory. close enough to that memory and mm-hmm. all of a sudden they were convinced that everything everything about them uh, was 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 like stepping into that same pathway again and going, mm-hmm. Okay, we did it again. I told you you were gonna do it again. Yeah. I told you you weren't ready. Like, <laughs> all those like tiny voices in our head. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> probably a, a funny story is uh, and about uh, how we have just chemical pathways that we don't really have that much control of, really. No. <laughs> I was, um, uh, gosh, my when my daughter was uh, maybe two years old, you know, and uh, she was having trouble sleeping, so I, uh, we have a, a white noise machine that we put in the hallway, so that way, mm-hmm. sort of the 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 kids can hear it and they can go to sleep to it. Mm-hmm. And I, so I went into the kids' room, and uh, and we had this old, very like Queen and Queen Victorian house, so <laughs> the. Uh, as I leave the room, I'm always very careful to be very quiet. Yeah. And uh, and so that way, like, because you know, it's creaking on the floor, stuff like that. So I I went into the, I woke up at the two a.m. in the morning, went into my daughter's room to like help help her get back to sleep. Got back to sleep. Waited like 10, 15 minutes. So she was definitely asleep. And then tiptoed my ninja crawled my <laughs> way out of the room. And I and and what I didn't know is that my ex at the time had done exactly had had gone to the bathroom. So as I'm coming out of the room, slowly, quietly closing the door, my ex is walking out, and we saw each other, at like, at the, at like, but at sort of an inch away from each other, yeah. turning the corner. <laughs> and so, of course, <laughs> I, I see her, and I go, ah! And she, 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 hears, she sees this giant blocking out like you know, most of the hallway, because I'm like 6'7", 260, so there's a lot of me. Yeah. And she goes, ah! And she screams, so then I go, ah! <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so we're like screaming back and forth in each other's face. And suddenly I'm like, wait, wait, it's me. And she's like, okay, it's me. And I'm like, okay, okay, we're fine. We're fine. And, like, okay. and, and mentally we recognized that we were obviously yeah. the person that was supposed to be there. Yes. Uh, and it was fascinating the sudden rush of adrenaline mm-hmm. that within about 20 seconds kicked in. Because my body was like, oh, there's someone. we got to fight now. Like that fight yeah. or flight there's kicked in There's someone in my hard. house that should not be yes. there. Yes. And, and my uh-huh. body was like, okay, quick, let's dump a whole bunch of adrenaline in the system. And the shaking and the, the, the fast breathing and all those things. And, mm-hmm. and then, but mentally knowing that, okay, I thought it was a, basically like you know, a tiger in my living room that I was going to have to fight, but it's yeah. not. Uh, it was fascinating to me just that sensation and sort of like then trying to like sort of wash it out of your system and how exhausted you are afterwards mm-hmm. and things like that. They just happen on a on a sudden like you know like sort of a, a microsecond basis. I think if we can start to help the client be in a place where they don't anticipate that happening, mm-hmm. where they can have enough positive experiences using it in a movement that's close to what they want to be, then funnily enough, by taking away that fear of the, the or anticipation of the movement hurting, we then allow the muscles to work the way they want to work. They're designed to work. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that um, the majority of clients who get uh, uh, shots, uh, cortisone shots, yeah. uh, are basically what they're doing is they're sort of just like numbing over the muscles that are trying to send a signal and, and hoping that 
the person starts moving normally again without mm-hmm. anticipation of pain. As they call that um, interrupting the signal, interrupting the feedback loop, exactly. hoping that's going to be enough. Exactly, yeah. hoping that's going to be enough. And then sometimes it works great mm-hmm. and sometimes it doesn't. But to me, I look at that and I say, okay, what you're doing right there is just saying, okay, let's let's hope that the body starts using itself normally. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, more often than not, I look at that sort of pain as saying, saying, okay, there's, there, and, and sorry, when that does work, I believe it's because the body was scared to use that joint in a regular functional way. Mm-hmm. And then we take away that fear and then suddenly the, the body is using itself normally again. And then when, when the cortisone short starts to wear off, then the body's like, oh, actually, I was, I was worried about that thing. I didn't have to be worried about it at all. Yeah. I think what that does is that unfortunately denies the person the opportunity to explore and understand their pain better and just set and, and they just sets themselves up for another cortisone shot six months from now because they don't know what they can do to give themselves some space. I, I, I believe that I, I try to communicate clients about their pain and say, when you're in pain, you're at a let's say you're at a four out of 10 or a five out of 10 dysfunction mm-hmm. before your body actually starts to send you pain. It's amazing yeah. what we can do like walk around free oh, it's pain. The, it's the last signal that we get. Exactly. It's, it's the house on fire. Like, Seriously, yeah. I need you to listen now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. here's some pain so you pay attention. Yeah. So unfortunately, the, the habit is for clients is that you know the second they're out of pain, they're like, mm-hmm. great, I'm done. And I say, no, no, the, you doing the homework gets you to a two or three dysfunction out of 10. Mm-hmm. What I want is for you to get to like a, a one or a two. So that so it's important to keep doing the homework and the, and to, and to understand the mm-hmm. things you can do, so that way you can then be in a place where you can say, okay, now I have a better understanding of mm-hmm. if I, this comes back, I have an understanding of why how it got here and what I can do to try to get it back down to a one or a two. It puts them back in control, and yeah. and your whole story about the the cortisone shot is that it's it negates the the brain and the memory's engagement in the entire mm-hmm. injury, and so that injection makes it the fault of the hip. Yep, and. If you're lucky, you're not. It's almost like if you're lucky, you're not paying attention so much that you accidentally start. Play, uh, you accidentally yeah, or really start, hurt yourself badly yeah. because there was something else you were supposed to listen to. Exactly, but yeah. the, you, you accidentally start moving better and your hip doesn't mm, hurt. Mm. But you're not, um, like you said, you're not thinking about that story and you do end up hurting yourself badly in another direction. Mm. That in having this conversation about why and how can we sneak up on that pain, do movements that are similar. It is the control and the awareness. It talks about what's happening in the brain. Mm. And it's a piece of um, alternative medicine that I really like seeing come out of the woodwork, that we are starting to care about how we feel and how we think about that Mm. area Mm. again. When empowered to do so. Exactly. That now this is your hip and you know how it moves. And we can't change your entire history of movement and injury, Mm. but we can shine a light on it so that when you start to hurt there again, or you start to feel like your gait is off or you're feeling a little stiff before that pain signal gets loud, mm. you're back in control. Right. The cortisone shots and the numbing agents and, and the relaxers, they're just trying to get that signal to shut up. Yeah, I, I feel uh, a, a, a small, something that happened this morning <laughs> in the car was uh, my, daughter, my daughter and my son, I was driving them to school. And, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the things I like to do is just kind of like, you know, just try to, uh, ask them like easy math questions. Mm-hmm. Just trying to like say, okay, let's do a brain warm up. And uh, I asked my daughter, what's you know f- like f- five times six times seven. Mm-hmm. And and then and it was interesting because you could see her decide that she couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, if you don't want to do it, that's okay. And so I just asked her brother some questions. And so while I'm asking her brother some questions, you can see her going. She she decided she was going to try. Yeah. And I think that when we can again empower or or 
right as a as a parent the instinct we have is to say oh my kid doesn't know this let me do it for them mm-hmm. you know and as as the therapist we, our instinct is to say if i can get the person out of pain then that's great then i win yeah then i win i'm the hero but i've done it for them yeah yeah and i haven't tried to help them understand what the, what the process mm-hmm. is and i think that's a a deeper more complicated level of uh of client of serving our client mm-hmm. that that really helps them feel good about themselves yeah. in so many ways. Like, you know, it's sort of like a, hey, look what you did. Like, mm-hmm. you're the star of the story. You're the person, you're you're the knight trying to fight the dragon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, uh, I'm over here just saying, try to hit him there. Try to, try to, try for the soft underbelly. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, basically go, like, give me that right sword. Hook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to say like, just give me that sword and I'll do it. I'm yeah. trying to say, I mean, and sometimes it's important to sort of, Give give our client some help at the start. Yeah. But as, but as soon as we feel that they can ride the bike without us, like sort of like holding the back the back mm-hmm. seat, and uh, and when the training wheels are off, then just have them go look, see what you're doing, see how mm-hmm. you're doing it, see how you fixed it by you doing the homework, by you doing those things. All mm-hmm. I was all I was here to do was to say, hey, here are some things I think would be cool. Try them, and then you get to decide what feels beneficial. And mm-hmm. and in doing that. All of a sudden, again, it, it starts to stem outside of the physical, and they start to feel empowered in the mm-hmm. in, in, in other areas of their life. Yeah, yeah, it does. It doesn't just stop at that pain no. source. I mean, when when you're no longer a victim in your own body, it changes where you can feel like a victim anywhere in your yeah. life. And then it comes mm-hmm. down. And, then, and so, <laughs> so funnily enough, I truly believe that like what I'm doing is not necessarily helping people with their knee, but helping <laughs> people learn how to address challenges and problems they have in their world. Yeah. And in doing that, I can sort of say, okay, so this is a problem. Mm-hmm. How would you normally solve a problem? Okay, so you would normally do this, normally do that. Okay, so in the future, so let's talk about a possibly a way we can solve this here. And let's, let's talk about you being resourceful and you being you blocking out time to do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, all, and, and then weirdly, uh, hopefully, in other areas of life when they have maybe a relation challenge or maybe a problem at work, mm-hmm. they might say, okay, how can I address this? And now maybe I'm being fantastical to think about that. I don't anticipate that someone's going to like, you know, sort of, have a picture of my wallet, like you know, like on on the deathbed, be like, "What did Jamie, Jamie Atlas?" Say? Yeah, exactly. You know, but at the same yeah. time, I like to I like to have that thought that that's really what I'm helping them to do, and maybe by having mm-hmm. that perspective, that that drives me emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my why. You know, yeah. that drives me emotionally to try to say I'm I'm not just trying to build better joints. I'm trying to build more enabled people. Uh, it gives resourcefulness that mm. when you can, uh, my, my favorite yoga teacher, and she'll actually be a guest on here in a little bit, she always talks about how um, when you build grit and awareness sitting in a, in a yoga posture, mm-hmm. it's not just that, hey, I'm building muscles and look how strong and sweaty mm-hmm. I'm getting. It's I did something that was uncomfortable. Mm. And I sat with the head trash mm. of trying to talk myself out of it and deciding to sit deeper instead. Mm-hmm. And that's a skill set that does serve you in other parts of your life because if i'm able to sit deeper in this posture in this asana for 30 seconds and then i'm having a difficult conversation instead of thinking i'm out of here there's a level of grit inside me where i says i can sit deeper in this conversation Mm -hmm. i can sit deeper with this homework that feels tedious and and unsure but i know what my why is and uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, and related to that when Mm -hmm. i have clients that i'm trying to do different drills with sometimes i'll ask them you know, is it the joint that hurts or is it your brain telling the joint that it hurts? Yeah. And to try to get them just to think about it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we talk about, I mean, in yoga, there's a lot of, uh, I've, I've got plenty of yoga instructors mm-hmm. that I've worked with in the past. And uh, and one of the things I try to ask them is, you know, like, do you encourage your 
students to be able to do the next thing or do you encourage them to master their practice? Mm-hmm. And, in, and, and the, the concept of mastering our practice and rather than saying, oh, I think I can get to the next thing, mm-hmm. how well can I do this basic fundamental thing? Yeah. And, and I love nothing more than showing clients, okay, so you did three reps of this and your brain mm-hmm. and, and your body hated it. And then I'm just going to provide a little bit of pressure here, a little bit of pressure there and just enough so your brain looks at it differently. Mm-hmm. And then when I take my thumb away, it doesn't hurt. And I didn't really do anything magical or amazing. All I did was like gave the brain a chance to use that joint in mm-hmm. a way that that was different. And so we talk about nociception and then anticipation of pain and that sort of that's saying the, the the brain says, Oh, actually, sorry. Oh, you know what? My bad. I mm-hmm. thought I thought this we couldn't use this joint anymore, so I was sending you a pain signal. And now I see it actually we can, so mm-hmm. I don't need to send you a pain signal for that movement again. And it, it, it blows people's minds. And they always think there's something wrong with me. And I yeah. say, no, it's your brain trying to protect you from hurting you, you, you again. So it's sending you a pain signal to say, hey, you're getting kind of close to where the real problem is. So I'm going to send you a, a, a fake pain signal, mm-hmm. weirdly. Warning signs. A warning sign, yeah. yeah. So because I care about you and I'm trying to get, <laughs> stop you from doing that thing again because I don't trust you not to hurt yourself again. Yeah. But, but then we sort of, again, start to shrink the fire. Mm-hmm. And in shrinking the fire, then we suddenly are in a place where we can say, okay, we've realized that you know, your problem walking is only really when you do this kind of movement. Mm-hmm. And then and in that, now we have something to work on that's a small, manageable, tiny dragon mm-hmm. instead of a giant dragon that's filling up the living room. And when you get to keep rewriting that story too, I have patients that come in and say, well, I still hurt. Well, yes, but when you first came in, you hurt doing everything, mm. pushing all the buttons. Right. You couldn't lift your arm. And now you only hurt at the end of a long day because you decided to play racquetball and then you played doubles and yeah. now you hurt. <laughs> Is that a different yeah. kind of hurt? Yeah. I guess it is. Yes. All right, so think about yeah, how yeah. that's a different kind yeah. of hurt. And does it make sense that if we continue yeah. to do the work together, mm-hmm. that we'll eventually get to a point where we're not that. On the, yeah. the kind that of like, you keep raising yeah. the bar. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, it did, we didn't get here overnight. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's certainly been years of dysfunction or, mm-hmm. or overuse that have caused us to get here. And then, and then, and then, but also to say with clients, you know, like what. Like uh, I have, have, have a client, she's hypermobile, and she comes in and she says, well, I say, she says, my shoulder hurts. And I say, when does it hurt? And she says, when I does this, when I do this. And, she, and I feel like I'm watching a Cirque du Soleil demonstration <laughs> when she's like, you know, bends and twists and does this thing. She's like, just there it hurts. And I'm like, when do you ever get to that there. place? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then I ask, do you want me to make you stronger at doing your everyday activities? Mm-hmm. Or do you want me to take that pain away? We have a certain amount of time. What's important to mm-hmm. you? And and again, if we ask ourselves, okay, do I want to be able to do everything mm-hmm. well or do I want to spend my energy doing certain things What well? serves you? Yeah. Yeah, what serves, my, what serves me and the things mm-hmm. that are important to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like one of those things where as, as a, uh, the, the client themselves, if we can ask more questions, mm-hmm. then we can understand better. And in understanding better, then we can serve them in a way that they feel like They've been heard, mm-hmm. and they and we give them homework that f- fits their lifestyle and tools by which they can explain to others what they're doing, mm-hmm. and then hopefully that can give them the best chances for success. I love it. I feel like we could probably keep talking for another two or three hours. <laughs> I think Steve has already changed the battery twice. <laughs> it's so fun to find yeah. to, to be able to find other people because, as you know, it's very yeah. rare to sort of yeah. ha- be able to have this conversation with people <laughs> where they can sort of like where we can get deep into this sort mm-hmm. of like how the brain serves the body and how emotions can 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 stop us from being successful mm-hmm. and how sometimes a, a delicate touch or or a, or a gentle soft approach 
can really help us to get to the places that we want to be. I agree. And and the happiest thing to me is that it's becoming rare and or less and less rare to find people who think like you do. And that the the field of certainly alternative healthcare is mm. seems to be rife with people trying to bring the brain and the body back together, the mm. spirit and the body back together so that we're not you know, fighting a one-sided battle of do what I say because I have a white coat. Right. And instead, do what you want because it matters to you. Mm. And I'm going to give you the tools. Yeah. So yeah. I, I so appreciate your perspective and the gift that you're giving to your clients and patients. Um, so, so to just sum it up and put a bow on it, what's, the, what's your one takeaway? How would you like others to think about the pain signals in their lives? Uh, here's what I'll say. If you're someone who has pain signals in your life, uh, I would love for you to ask as many questions about that pain. In other words, is it environmental? Is it situational? Mm-hmm. Is it is it emotional? Is it is it uh, is it global? Is it something where you know I only feel this pain when I'm going downhill? Like, mm-hmm. do you feel it when you're going downstairs? Like, like when you're taking laundry downstairs, or do you feel it after you've done a long hike? Mm-hmm. Do you feel do you feel it? So next time you go down. Explore that and say, okay, if I walk kind of sideways, do I feel it now? Do I, if I walk straight down, if I mm-hmm. walk, you know, if do, when it is, does it hurt when the right foot lands and when the left foot lands? To really get exact with that can can not only help you to help your therapist or whoever you choose to see, mm-hmm. because unfortunately your therapist in today's world or, or whoever's whoever's trying to in, intervene doesn't have the time to ask you the questions. To, to, to mm-hmm. best understand what it is you need. And that's just a, that's just a matter of how the world is today. Mm-hmm. So unless you're seeing someone like us who is basically, who, who are, our job is to try to dig those questions out of you, asking those questions of yourself ahead of time can mm-hmm. really best help you when you walk in to see the person who's, who you have given the opportunity to help you see mm-hmm. the, a path out of the pain you're in. So that would be that would be the the sum it all up to say, uh, if you're going in to see someone, ask yourself the question so that way you can as accurately, and uh, and specifically tell them what your mm-hmm. challenge is, and then tell them why you want to be able to get that challenge taken mm-hmm. care of, so they understand and they can invest emotionally as well, because there's nothing that makes us feel better than to say, man, I helped that person run again, or yeah. that person like I have. I have a variety of athletes that I see and also just regular people off the street. But I'm uh, probably one of my proudest moments was recently when there was a UFC fighter who it was his first UFC fight. He wasn't going to be able to get to fight and uh, because of an injury he had. And I was able to work with him the week before when he was sort of had to decide if he had to take the fight or not and mm-hmm. to achieve a dream of his that he'd had since he was a little kid. And I was able to, uh, we were able together to get him to that place. And mm-hmm. that was one of the things that like made me most proud and then to watch him fight and win really gave me so much joy because I knew how much it meant to him and I knew that I'd been a tiny part of the team mm-hmm. that had helped him get there. And I think that that why it, you just illustrated it so beautifully, it goes both ways because I mm. think a lot of patients feel like their healthcare providers are uninterested and checked out. Mm. And you know, some of that, we, we can write that off with all of the, all of the charting or, and the system yeah, yeah. and they're burnt out and they're caring for people, but they want to know your why. Mm. And if you both care together, now you have two emotional um, perceptions of what's happening. You have two people invested in it, not just yourself. And your healthcare provider does mm. care because I, uh, you, I was thinking of my stories too. And it's just it, 
those are the ones that you remember and that just make your yeah. heart swell up. Like the Grinch three times is too big. So <laughs> <laughs> we're all not all dead inside. We do want to care. Um, so I think that's fantastic advice. Thank you for joining us Thank today you. and sharing your wisdom and perspective. I so appreciate it. Cheers. And Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll see you next time on the Healing Ground podcast or yeah, Healing Ground Movement podcast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.